Thanks to Slack for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app which brings together all your team's communications in one place, making work simpler and more productive. Go to www.slack.com to learn more. It's Monday, May 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy, happy May. Howdy, it's yeah, May, it's May for crying out loud. You know, I was talking to my daughters last night, and I gave them a little. You know what? Tomorrow it's gonna be May because you know they have those stupid Twitter memes out there with Justin Timberlake, like the old In Sync song or whatever. Okay. Have you seen those? I haven't. Oh come on! There's even stuff posted around the office. But anyway, they didn't know what I was talking about, and I guess that makes sense because they're like 11 and 12 years old, or well, 10 and 12. So, I'm 50, and I don't know what you're talking. about. Oh come on! <laughs> well, I bet you some listeners out there have an idea. All right, let's get to the news at hand. Uh, we're going to get into Twitter's new deal. We're going to get into some casino stocks. Let's start with first quarter profits for Dish Network. First quarter profits fell 6%, and Dish lost twice as many subscribers as they were expecting to lose. And yet, the stock up about 1%. How low were the expectations for this? This is not a good quarter. No. How low are the expectations for this company that the stock is up? Pretty low. I think, honestly, I think the, the expectations are that there is going to be a deal here at some point where the company is acquired um, because of all of these investments that they're, that they're making in this wireless spectrum. And, and I think that ultimately is what they're trying to become is more of the the data provider, sort of the you know the invisible pipes, so to speak, that are out there transmitting all this wireless data. Because if you look at it on the surface, I mean, yeah, I know their subscribers are down. I bet you I know where those subscribers are going. Well, some of them are going to Sling TV that they own. Sure, but other, they yeah, are going to Sling. It's not enough to counteract. And I think yeah, that's the thing. Sling is a neat offering, but I don't think it's nearly enough to sort of. Uh, counter this mass no, no, exodus no. of just regular sort of of cord cutters um, or even cord shavers, but I mean we we're going to have more competition in that front with YouTube's offering that's just come out. Hulu's got an offering that's getting ready to come out. You've just got a lot of options out there, and and I mean Dish sort of seems a bit archaic at this point. So I mean I think the investments in the wireless spectrum make sense because that's somewhere where they can at least. Um, Maintain some relevance, but yet to your point, I mean, the numbers in in any capacity look horrible here. Subscribers down, ARPU down, net income down, revenue down. I mean, just it, it, it was all the way around a bad quarter. But I do think the stock is at something like 20, 21 times earnings, which I mean, given given the assets that they've invested in uh, over the past, uh, really since two thousand and eight, in in building out this wireless spectrum, I think there is an expectation here at some point there will be an acquisition. Yeah, they spent six billion dollars on Spectrum over the last Spectrum auction that just ended in March. And the, the quiet period's over. They've been all these companies have had to been quiet for like a year or so now. Yeah. Um, so they couldn't even talk to each other about mergers and acquisitions. So doors wide open for that. So who are the leading candidates to buy this company? I think you look anywhere. They, they I think there was some discussion of them working with T-Mobile mm-hmm. at one point or another. It was the only uh, company that spent more than them on the Spectrum during right. the auction that just happened. But, I mean, anybody's fair game, Verizon, AT&T, even Comcast. I've seen Amazon, not as a partner, maybe not as an acquisition uh, candidate, but um, just because if they want to get more wireless Spectrum for Echo, for their Prime Video, or for drone deliveries in the future, they're going to likely need some wireless Spectrum, so a partnership could be could be used there because um, yeah, Dish has a very large unused part of the U.S. spectrum network. So at twenty twenty one times earnings, you think 
that's expensive? Like, do you, do you think, boy, if someone's going to buy them, they're really going to have to pay up, or do you think, no, this is a reason? This, the company right now is reasonably valued, and therefore it makes it as or more likely it'll be acquired. I'd say based on its earnings potential in the future, I would look at 2021 times earnings and think that's honestly kind of expensive. I don't know that I'd really want to pay up for something like this. It all comes down to a matter of figuring out how to value all of this and understand what another party might want to pay for it. And then it all really comes back to the idea that perhaps investing in Dish Network, and this is just a supposition. I could be wrong. I mean, but it's it's perhaps investing in Dish Network. The thesis is that there will be a deal at some point. I personally wouldn't want to invest in a company with that as the thesis. Uh, so I, I think there are plenty of other great ideas out there. So this is one where I just kind of toss it into the not so interested pile. Shares of Twitter are up more than five percent this morning on the news that it is teaming up with Bloomberg. To stream video news around the clock, and both sides making it very clear this is not simply a feed of Bloomberg's television network. This is going to be news produced for Twitter. It's going to launch sometime this fall. Clearly, the market is somewhat bullish on this idea. One of my thoughts, Jason, when I read this was I don't think this is good news for Cheddar. And for those unfamiliar, um, Cheddar is an online financial video network. You've you've done some some hits sure. with them before. Yeah, John Steinberg, great guy. Talk with him a good bit, and I think he's done a wonderful job over there. Um, really, basically building Cheddar up from nothing. I mean, yeah. that, it's it's they always framed it as kind of the CNBC for millennials, and so it's focused on everything from business to fashion, stuff, whatever. I mean, they've done a great job building out that network. But yeah, I think your point. This is something very much geared towards that sort of new media space that we're seeing. I mean, we're talking about Dish Network as being kind of an, an old school media network versus what Twitter's trying to do here with Bloomberg. This is going in that direction of mobile video. I mean, if you believe in the secular trend towards mobile video, and you believe that Twitter is not a platform in decline, and I would argue that it's not in decline, mm-hmm. uh, then, I mean, you have to feel good about this deal. You have to feel like it at least makes sense. Um, I think the biggest question with Twitter, when earnings came out last week, users were up nicely. Daily users were up nicely, which which shows a lot of engagement. Well, that's the metric that they're trying to benchmark themselves on, not just monthly active users. Exactly, right. and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Jack Dorsey said in an interview that you know we're trying to make something that people want to use daily. Mm-hmm. We're not focused on just monthly users, and, and so that makes a lot of sense. I mean, being that they are in live, I mean, stuff happens daily, and so this is the challenge Twitter's always faced: is is how do you monetize that platform that moves so quickly? It doesn't really work for a lot of advertisers out there because things just keep on moving so fast. So the challenge was, we need to get eyeballs there for more sustained periods of time, and the easiest way to do that is through video. And you can't just put any video out there; it has to either be exclusive or compelling, it has to give people a reason to want to come back and keep on watching. And and so that ultimately is what this is geared towards: is uh, giving people a reason to keep on going back there all the time. To see what's going on in the news world, and and I think uh, I mean there there is good reason to be bullish initially on this. Now this of course all boils down to execution, um, but but I think it's definitely a smart move on both sides. Yeah, talking about execution, I don't I don't have too many doubts about this deal in particular because they've already worked with Bloomberg 
pretty extensively during the presidential debates and just random programming that they've got. So they, they've got a partner that they've been with before trying this 24-hour news cycle. Um, so I think that's a wise move. Um, but then you talk about millennials, uh, 55% of their videos are watched by people under 25. So they're already attracting that crowd to their videos. And you know that's the movement forward. These 25 and unders that are going to be growing up and and you know making money and watching, being able to spend with these advertisers that are going to be there on Twitter. And it's the single largest ad format for them at the moment. And I could see that continuing, especially as they get in. They're going to do a baseball game per week. Um, esports have been big for them in the video scene. So um, that's a growing trend you see with a lot of different companies. Movie theaters showing esports now. So. Um, it's a, they're moving in the right direction with a lot of these video offerings, I think. Yeah, I think the, the sports stuff with Twitter has always been interesting to me, but just interesting, nothing yeah, yeah. more than that. Whereas, when I saw this deal, this was one where I thought, oh, this makes sense. As yeah. opposed to the, oh, we're going to do a baseball game week, we're going to do a Thursday night football, that kind of thing. Those were always interesting, but this is one where I was like, oh, this actually seems like this makes sense. And presumably, they have enough data to this point to know not just what are consumers' habits, but they can also look at, oh, in terms of followers, who are some of the most followed people we have? Presumably, at least some of them are in the financial media space. Yeah, and I think, yeah, they take they've done so much in the way of sports. And I think there was some criticism perhaps that the NFL deal um, that they had last year went to Amazon this year. The NFL deal was not really about money as much as it was about learning, Mm-hmm. If the platform actually works for live video and how they can make it as good an experience as possible, and and then when you you look at all of the different things that they're streaming, I mean it, they're going from from national sports like Major League Baseball all the way down to the very local level like college lacrosse and and everything in between. And and I think you're right. This does really this does really focus on Twitter's biggest strength in news. I mean, that is really ultimately what it is at its core. It's it's this operating system of news where information travels very quickly, and I think it's the most powerful network in the world in regard to that. Um, they've just never been able to really figure out how to monetize it. So they took a lot of criticism, I think, this past quarter with the fact that revenue dipped a little bit. But actually, that that makes sense because I mean, the fact of the matter is they've had to kind of blow up this monetization model that got them to this point. They kind of had to start over and say, "All right, we're going to build this business based on live video. So what we've got to do is come out with these compelling video products. We need to create engagement, and then once we create engagement and we grow those user bases, then we can go back to our ad partners and say, "Hey, look." We've got this cool platform. We're streaming all this stuff. It's growing users. They're engaged users. Now, are you interested in advertising with us? And so, I think that what we're going to see is they'll focus on that daily metric, quarter in and quarter out here. And as long as they can continue demonstrating engagement and just modest growth in overall users, then I think we're going to start to see that revenue acceleration come back. Um, Again, it all boils down to execution. If they do a good job with it, I think there's reason to be optimistic. If they fail to execute, and it's completely reasonable to believe they may, <laughs> then they've got then they've got bigger problems. Right, and that's that's something that Aaron Bush and David Kretzman touched on last week on Market Foolery was the speed with which Twitter moves. It's just not there. You there are a lot of examples in the last few years where you can point to where you just look at Twitter and go, "You're not moving fast enough." And so I think it's smart that they made this deal. I think it's smart that they said we're launching in the fall. Now they've got a couple of months to really get the launch right. 
And if they if this is good right out of the gate, then I think you got to be encouraged. Well, yeah, and if, just to tie this back to like Dish Network to compare size of audience, when you look at Dish Network, less than 14 million total subscribers. Twitter had 45 million unique video viewers in the first quarter alone, so of this year. So, just a, you know, multiples higher than this Dish Network that's been around for ages. Yeah, and I agree. It does seem like they've moved at just a snail's pace in the past, and management even admitted that. I mean, Jack Dorsey came out and said as much at the beginning of the year, and that they intended to start moving more quickly. Uh, that's what they say. Let's see if they do what they say. Before we get to the casinos, uh, we, I think we got to spend just a minute or two on Fitbit. Uh, and for those that don't remember, the woman in Wisconsin who said that her Fitbit Flex 2 fitness tracker exploded on her wrist while she was sitting on her couch. By the way, she wasn't exercising. She was just sitting there on her couch, and it exploded and gave her second-degree burns. Fitbit did their own third-party investigation that concluded, wait for it, the device did not malfunction. And I'm quoting here from a Fitbit uh, spokesperson. The testing shows that external forces caused the damage to the device. We have not received any other complaints of this nature, and we want to assure our customers that they can continue to enjoy their Flex2 and all Fitbit products with confidence. Okay. <laughs> now, this attempts to walk the line between reassuring their existing customers uh, with uh, saying, look, this wasn't us. I don't think they quite stuck the landing on this one, Jason. I th- this wasn't as bad as United Airlines' initial statement right out of the gate after they dragged that guy off the plane. It's not that bad. But there is a little bit to this statement that smacks of, yeah, this ain't us. This is her. Not as convincing as Samsung. <laughs> it's not. And they and as long as this never happens again, I think they're in the clear. All this has to do is happen one more time. But they use a third-party investigator. <laughs> and, again, I, I, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They did things right. They didn't wordsmith this statement quite as no. well as they should have. But again, as long as this never happens again, they're going to be fine. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's also call it what it is. I mean, if Fitbit were, as Ron Gross might say, firing on all cylinders, then this probably would be higher up there on the uh, the news websites, right? But I think that, generally speaking, I mean, we've talked about this before. I just I, I tend to feel like maybe Fitbit's best days are behind it. I'm not sure how compelling um, that hardware is. Either way, I mean, they're kind of in that damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Like, if they determine that it wasn't their fault, okay, that's fine. That doesn't make me want to buy one anymore. If they determine that it was their fault, well, okay, that's great for stepping out in front of there and taking responsibility. I still don't want to buy one. Again, I think it boils down to the data that people are getting from devices like these, and there are a lot of those different kinds of devices. And it's not just Fitbits that blow up. I mean, our good friend Uncle Joe. I mean, I saw oh. him on Twitter last night. He was talking about how like he had a couple of Fitbits that kind of went sour on him, and uh, I, I, so I feel like perhaps if they blow up, that's not their only that's not their only problem. Well, what was great about that exchange? Our our good friend Joe Maker, our colleague in Australia, tweeting out about well, when I bought my first Fitbit, <laughs> this happened, and when I bought my second one, this other thing happened, and then when I got my third one. <laughs> This other thing happened, and Matt Argusinger very astutely jumped in and was like, "You bought a third one? 
You had two go south on you? Must you have been a shareholder. <laughs> but, you know, by the Doing same token, I think that that's another sort of nail in the coffin, right? Is they obviously aren't going to possess really any pricing power because it's not like you're going out there and spending an arm and a leg to buy one of these devices. So, I mean, you know, there are just a lot of reasons perhaps to not really get worked up over over these devices. Again, I think it's more about the data and what we can do with the data. And, and honestly, I think. There are other ways to play this with companies out there that aren't completely levered to the sec- to the success of just one thing. Before we get to our next story, I got to say thanks to Slack for supporting t- today's episode of Market Foolery. Slack is a messaging app that brings together all of your team's communications in one place, making your working lives simpler and more productive. Slack connects the tools and services you need in one place. It allows you to organize your team with real-time messaging, video or voice calls, group file sharing, and searchable archives, all in one easy-to-use app. Major companies regularly use Slack, such as Capital One and Electronic Arts. And hey, even smaller companies like The Motley Fool. I'm using it right now. We've been using Slack for years here at The Motley Fool, and it's fantastic. It has substantially cut the amount of internal email that we use. It saves you time. It makes you more productive. You don't have to switch across multiple tabs and platforms to keep updated with work. You can drag and drop file sharing that works with all the apps you already use, like Dropbox, Google Drive, Trello. And plus, you can tailor Slack to your work with over 900 apps. And with the mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up right where you're left off, no matter where you are. Again, we've been using this thing for years. It's here. a good mobile interface. I like it. It's oh, yeah, it is very handy. Yeah, we love it. Go to www.slack.com to learn more. That's slack.com. Casino revenue in Macau rose more than 16% in April. That is at the high end of analyst expectations. So, perhaps not a surprise that Las Vegas Sands, Wynn Resorts, and Melco Entertainment, which all have huge operations in Macau, uh, those stocks are at or near all-time highs today. I was over uh, for the first time. There's an MGM resort just across the river in National Harbor, Maryland, and I went over last night for the first time uh, to uh, see a show. Uh, it was my first time over there, and um, what'd you think? Impressive. Yeah. Very impressive, and um, and jam packed on a Sunday night. Slammed. And it was one of those things that sort of got me thinking about casino stocks in general, and. Um, Part one thought that went through my mind was like, how do casinos ever lose money? <laughs> like, like this place was jam packed on a Sunday night, not just for the show that I, my wife and I were there to see, but just the rest, everything. Every it was just jam packed, and I'm curious if casino stocks have ever made their way into your portfolio or even on your watch list, Taylor. Um, watch list for sure, yeah. Uh... Never in my portfolio, though. It's one of those vice stocks that I think you know the industry is definitely going to be around for quite a while. So um, I just never personally dabbled in it. What about you, Jason? Yeah, much like whenever I go into the actual casino, I just don't feel like I have any real kind of edge. <laughs> I mean, I just I'm going in there. But wait, there's a lot that, of there's a lot of competition. Well, I mean, isn't that, isn't that the reason to invest in a casino? Because you know the house always wins. Well, so. perhaps, but when it, when I when I take the step back and try to look at it from the investor's perspective, as opposed to like just you know the gambler's perspective. It it is hard for me to understand exactly how sustainable and how attractive of an investment it can be because it does feel like, 
I mean, it feels like one of those investments where they're kind of polarizing. I mean, I don't have any problem with gambling whatsoever. I think gambling is great if you want to do it, and so I don't have any sort of ethical issues there. But I mean, I think it's a difficult business really to understand any real sustainable kind of competitive advantage. I mean, I guess really at the end of the day, you're sort of hoping for people to fall into this just pit of despair and like gamble all their money away, and that somehow makes the you know casino socks do okay. Is to me, it's I looked at when 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 resorts for for example, and and you could see periods of time where it was good to buy. And then and then sell, but they don't look like they make really the best sort of long-term buy-to-hold style investments. Probably subject to a lot of regulation, a lot of scrutiny, not only um, in, in in the legal eye but in the public eye as well. So um, it was just it's always been difficult for me to understand my edge in looking at those types of businesses. So I just take a pass. If I gave you each two hundred dollars. And said, "You got to go into the casino. You got to sit down at the table and, and play a game. What are you playing, Taylor?" Uh, if I'm by myself, probably roulette, just to go hang out, play for a little while. What about you? Does go fish count? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that they have that over there. Nah, I probably. I'd probably go with blackjack. I think I would go with blackjack because I think that's the game I could lose the the most slowly at. Yeah, and that's the one I can understand <laughs> the best. Right. I feel like poker. Someone just got so, a. Right. Throttle me and like yeah, this blackjack, pretty simple to understand. Yeah, it's you social game. Just sort of play the odds yeah. and extend it. No, you're right. Make that make that money last. Just long lose slowly. Exactly. That's all I'm looking I'll to bet do. One dollar. <laughs> well, not at the MGM Grand. The minimums are high there. <laughs> yeah. Higher than in most casinos. In that Vegas. is that is absolutely true. Uh, before we say goodbye today, I got to say thanks to uh, Nick, listener uh, listener number three hundred forty nine, who um, traveled a great distance to be with us today. He's on the other side of the glass. Today. Yes, sir. Yeah, right. Long time nice. listener for coming. and full member Nick coming and bringing uh, a couple of little uh, items for us as well, which we'll dip into uh, after the show. So thank you for that, Nick. Um, thanks for being here, guys. Thank Cheers. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. Austin Morgan sitting in for Dan Boyd today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.